Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Pasha. My name is Inas Kosana. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Shabir Madi. He is the Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences and Professor of Vaccinology at the University of Witwatersrand in South Africa. South Africa has introduced vaccinations for adolescents between 12 and 17 years old, something that has caused a lot of debate in the country. There are arguments that these vaccines should be used as boosters for people who need them more than adolescents. He also tells us when South Africa can expect the next resurgence of COVID-19, how it's doing with the vaccine rollout, and a whole lot more. I started by asking Professor Madi what are some of the key lessons the country has learned so far. So the major lessons that we've learned is that rolling out of a vaccine is as complex as securing supply of vaccine. So in January of this year, we were really struggling when it comes to being able to get adequate supply. Uh, over time, that was secured. Uh, but unfortunately, the type of planning that was required to start implementing and ensuring that you get high levels of coverage over a short period of time was somewhat lagging behind. Uh, conse consequently, what we faced is that we've missed a number of targets when it comes to completion of different age groups. As an example, we were meant to have uh, vaccinated the majority of people above the age of 60 by June, July of this year. And currently, I think we're sitting at around about 62 to 63% of people above the age of 60 having been uh, vaccinated. Uh, in the 50 to 59 year age group, another age group that was targeted for completion before we moved to phase three of our program, uh, in that age group, we're now looking at just over 50% having been completed with vaccination. Now, the reasons for this is uh, multiple, obviously, but part of it uh, speaks to the issue of planning. Uh, and the rollout of vaccines, not just in South Africa, but in many countries, and fortunately, it's underappreciated as to what it actually entails. Starting from community engagement, adequate communication around what the vaccines are all about, what the purpose of the vaccine program is, and then finally being able to implement. Now, the other challenge that we face in South Africa, unfortunately, is that the initial planning for the rollout of the vaccine was sort of top down in that uh, the expectation were that people were going to rush forward to register on the electronic uh, vaccine data system, the EVDS, without really uh, understanding as to how adaptable it was for the South African context. And what we saw essentially result is that uh, to a large extent, the EVDS made vaccines inaccessible to people and certainly not uh, accessible in the context of people being able to choose when and where they were wanting to be vaccinated. Uh, so when we started to allow for walk-ins to take place for targeted age groups, we saw a much quicker escalation in the coverage of vaccines. Now, again, this is not unique to South Africa. In fact, Germany, before even South Africa started off rolling out vaccine, uh, Germany is, a, is in another example of a country that also tried to go the EVDS route or a similar sort of strategy. And again, in Germany, uh, the system failed dismally. So I think it was a bit over-optimistic for us to expect that a system that didn't, an electronic system that didn't work in Germany was somehow miraculously going to work uh, in South Africa. There are other ways the rollout could have been improved. Pop-up facilities were used to good effect in some parts of the country. Now, the other challenges we face is that something, although this is something which has been differentially uh, addressed by different provinces, uh, is one of the issue of access. And a province such as Limpopo is a good example where they consciously went out 
uh, trying to set up proper facilities, taking vaccines to the people, which is what is required to get to that group of individuals that might be somewhat apathetic or if not hesitant about being vaccinated in that they're less inclined to travel or to make their way to a central facility. So the use of pop-up facilities, which is now uh, gathering momentum across many other uh, facilities, obviously is also playing a big part in increasing our vaccine coverage rate. And then it goes in that how well did we perform when it comes to community sensitization and engagement of community structures, including of religious leaders, including of non-governmental organizations, civic uh, associations. Again, unfortunately, because of the saga or the money that was wasted when it comes to communication around COVID-19 vaccines, much of the resources that were meant for this sort of communication and engaging of uh, communities uh, wasn't actually available when the need arose. So we lagged behind when it comes to communication and mobilization of community structures. And even to date, unfortunately, what we haven't seen happen in South Africa, which has somewhat contributed to many other countries being successful in increasing the coverage rates, is that we haven't really had champions uh, from non-governmental organizations, from sporting organizations, from sportsmen, from religious uh, organizations and religious leaders that got a high public profile. We haven't really get, got them coming out en masse to encourage people to be vaccinated. And even on a political front, Unfortunately, we've had uh, somewhat of a lukewarm approach uh, on the part of politicians uh, when it comes to championing the case for vaccination. What has worked is that we've got adequate supply of vaccine. And I think that itself was quite an achievement uh, because we were able to gain adequate supply of vaccine over a short period of time, despite uh, being relatively late. Uh, when it comes to having uh, engaged in bilaterals. And most of the vaccine supply, as you know, is through bilaterals with Pfizer as well as with J&J &J, rather than through the COVAX facility. But now that we've got security of vaccine supply, the challenge is being able to use those doses of vaccine before the vaccines expire. So take us through the government strategy now. What do you make of it? what government strategy now is, is to try to just expand the age groups that it's offering vaccines to, which unfortunately is not driven by a strategy. Uh, getting as many vaccines out into the population is not a strategy to get the greatest efficiency from these vaccines. So right now in a country such as South Africa, we're much better off offering a third dose of vaccine to the 65% of uh, adults above the age of 65 that have been vaccinated then using that same doses of vaccine for children between 12 to 18 years, where they're only being provided the single dose of vaccine. Because that single dose of vaccine in a 12 to 18 year age group is not going to, unless a child has got underlying medical conditions and that affects less than 0.5% of children, that single dose of vaccine is really going to provide very little uh, value to that child in terms of being protected, uh, particularly because children rarely ever get severe disease from COVID-19. And a single dose of vaccine, uh, in fact, doesn't work too well uh, when it comes to protecting against infection uh, and reducing the ability of a person to transmit the virus, which is the main reason we would be vaccinating 12 to 18 year olds. On the other hand, what we face with is people above the age of 65 based on data from other countries and especially if those individuals have got underlying, underlying medical conditions, we now come to understand 
that at first two doses of vaccine does provide good protection against severe disease, but doesn't provide as good protection compared to what if those individuals are given a third dose of vaccine. Of course, it seems that those first two doses of vaccine are just priming the immune system, and the third dose is boosting the immune system, whereas in a younger age group, the first dose is priming the immune system, and the second dose is boosting the immune system. Prof, you actually covered the next question, but briefly, what's your opinion on the extension of COVID-19 vaccines to adolescents? I'm not saying that we shouldn't vaccinate children. There's a time and place where children probably should be vaccinated. Uh, but that time and place is right, not right now in South Africa. And in fact, when South Africa embarks on such a program, it needs to know that it's doing so and it's actually further undermining the ability of other low-income countries who have had less than 5% of the population vaccinated to access vaccines. So be it South Africa or any other high-income country, when they start vaccinating age groups and individuals that are not at high risk of developing severe COVID, they do it at the expense of low-income countries that haven't been able to access vaccines being pushed further down the road in terms of when they will be able to access vaccines. So it's more than just a country-specific decision that you're making. You're making a decision which has got repercussions. Even if you've already got a vaccine in the bank, uh, you're still making decisions which have repercussions for other settings, for other countries, and particularly African countries, where, like I said, the majority of countries still have got less than 5% of the adult population, and in fact, less than 10% of even people above the age of 60. Are vaccinated. So those decisions come at the cost. Uh, it comes at the cost of depriving vaccines to less fortunate uh, individuals, less fortunate countries. Can you please expand on that? So what happens is that there's a fixed amount of vaccine that is available and there's no getting away from that. Maybe by the middle of next year we would probably have a surplus of vaccine, but right now the amount of vaccine that's available is fairly limited and that's the reason why COVAX facility is simply unable to actually deploy the number of vaccines that we were hoping to deploy by the end of this year. I think initially their target was 2 billion doses by the end of the year, uh, and that figure has slowly crept downwards. Uh, now I think it's sitting at about 1.3, 1.4 billion doses, and even that figure is unlikely to be met. Now, the re now most low-income countries are almost exclusively dependent on the COVAX facility as well as the African Initiative for Vaccine Procurement more recently. And that is where most African countries, are the low middle income countries, and South Africa is an upper middle income country, but most of the low middle income countries will only be able to procure the vaccine through the COVAX facility. Now, when governments decide, and these are governments that have engaged in bilaterals and have been able to secure vaccine supply, which at times is four to five times than what is required for the country, including countries such as the UK and Canada, when those countries then decide to use vaccines in age groups uh, that are not at high risk of developing severe disease, they do so by drawing down from the vaccine that would be allocated to them, not just through the bilaterals, but also through the COVAX facility. So the vaccines that would have otherwise been available to COVAX facility and the UK as an example could have said, well, we vaccinated our adult population, use a vaccine that's available to us and rather use it and distribute it to low, other low-income countries. Even that limited source of vaccine that is available to the COVAX facility, that vaccine still needs to be distributed based on an agreement that COVAX has with different countries, which includes high-income countries. So essentially what's happening is that the, amount, the vaccines that are available, they're going to people that have pre-ordered those vaccines. 
even though those countries might have already vaccinated 80 to 90 percent of the adult population at times, but they're still calling on those additional doses of vaccines, which they've sort of had made an advanced market uh, commitment to purchase. But the purpose of using that vaccine is no longer to protect people against severe disease and death, but rather to vaccinate younger age groups, as well as to start providing third doses of vaccines. I'm not raising questions about third doses of vaccines for certain categories of individuals that do require it, but third doses of vaccines to protect healthy people against infection rather than hospitalization and death. So following on with that line, Prof, what do you think of the decision to give healthcare workers booster shots? I say healthcare workers are a completely different category. And in fact, the healthcare workers in South Africa are long overdue a booster shot in April of this year already. In fact, there was an article in the Times where I was quoted as saying that healthcare workers in April already should have been receiving a booster dose of vaccine, especially those that receive a single J&J vaccine. Uh, and the reason why healthcare workers need to be boosted is at uh, this multiple le- level. So unlike the general population, uh, you, who you're really trying to protect primarily against severe disease and death. When it comes to healthcare workers, you're also wanting to optimize the protection, not, against, not only against hospitalization and death, but also protect them against infection. And the reason for that is when a healthcare worker becomes infected, uh, what happens is that it obviously places the healthcare facilities under greater duress, because these healthcare workers would need to go off on isolation for 10 to 14 days. So it starts impacting on healthcare delivery. But in addition to that, when healthcare workers get infected, they then risk uh, being transmitters to transmitters of the virus to other healthcare workers, uh, as well as transmitters of the virus to patients that are in the facilities. And many of those patients might well be people with underlying medical condition that they have received two doses of the vaccine, but they still remain susceptible to developing severe disease because of an underlying immunosuppressive condition. So in absence of them having a third dose of vaccine, if healthcare workers uh, remain suboptimally protected, they can transmit the virus to those individuals, uh, putting them at risk of ending up with a hospital-acquired infection. And the same thing goes if they are looking after unvaccinated individuals. So there's a protection of the healthcare work as an individual, there's a protection of the healthcare system uh, or minimizing the impact that infection of a healthcare worker would have on uh, the healthcare system, as well as uh, ensuring that healthcare workers don't become responsible for the spread of the virus in healthcare facilities, which is something that we can ill afford. This is sort of a category of individuals that needs to be thought of somewhat differently in terms of what the goal is. The goal in healthcare workers is not just protection against severe disease and death, uh, that is an important goal, uh, but the other goal in healthcare workers is also to minimize the chances of becoming infected with the virus. Many health workers received the J&J vaccine. What should happen now? Certainly healthcare workers that received a single dose of the J&J vaccine, they should already have been boosted, in fact, before we had even experienced the third wave, which is what I had been advocating. And the absence of not having done that uh, came at a huge cost, because if you see the number of healthcare workers that had breakthrough infections, uh, those were significant. In fact, we don't know whether the J&J vaccine protected healthcare workers against mild infection. We know that it reduced the chances of hospitalization by about 70% and death by about 92%. But when it comes to protecting against infection, the J&J vaccine, in all indications based on more recent evidence from the United States, shows that after three to four months, in fact, there's no protection from a single dose of vaccine against infection. So healthcare workers should have been boosted already a long time ago, and certainly uh, they need to be boosted immediately. 
uh, and there are options in terms of which vaccine they can be boosted with. It's not that they should only be boosted with a J&J vaccine. All indications are that the boosting of the healthcare with people that receive the J&J vaccine, boosting them with the messenger RNA vaccine, will probably confer better protection, especially against infection and mild COVID, than boosting them with another dose of the J&J vaccine. So healthcare workers should be boosted immediately, and those healthcare workers that they have received two doses of the Pfizer vaccine already as well, if they've received two doses of the Pfizer vaccine more than four to five months ago, they probably should be boosted with a third dose of Pfizer vaccine as well. And this boosting of healthcare workers and boosting of high-risk individuals is much more efficient use, much more productive use of COVID vaccines that are available to the country than dishing it out to children between 12 to 17 years, where a single dose on its own is not going to provide much protection to the child in any case. And then what about the general population who received the J&J vaccine? Would you recommend a booster shot for them too? Uh, the J&J vaccine is not a single dose vaccine. And I think the sooner we get away from that notion, the better. South Africa needs to re-look its strategy. Uh, certainly what we've seen from the United States with the two-dose schedule of the J&J vaccine is superior in protecting against hospitalization uh, than a single dose of vaccine and probably is more durable in its, uh, in its duration of protection. Uh, so the J&J vaccine is not a single dose vaccine. Yes, it might be a single dose vaccine in an emergency situation where you've got limited supply of vaccine, but the same thing applies for the AstraZeneca vaccine and even the Pfizer vaccine where after a single dose, you get reasonably good protection against hospitalization and death. But if you want durability of protection, you need to boost. Uh, and you can be boosting with another dose of J&J, uh, but my own preference is actually to boost with uh, one of the messenger RNA vaccines, which is the Pfizer vaccine in South Africa, because the evidence is clear that uh, the type of immune responses that you get, you get with this heterologous approach is superior, both in terms of antibody responses as well as cell-mediated responses, compared with two doses of the J&J vaccine, or even two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, in fact. Uh, there's a recent study that came out, uh, which basically also showed uh, that uh, uh, the individuals that received the AstraZeneca vaccine followed by the Pfizer vaccine, they had higher levels of protection against COVID than individuals that received two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And that sort of data, it would be miraculous if the experience with J&J wouldn't be the same because the J&J and the AstraZeneca vaccine induce very similar immune responses both after the first dose as well as the second dose. And this combination of AstraZeneca and Pfizer and the immune responses are very similar to the combination of J&J followed by Pfizer. So this approach is the way that South Africa should pursue it. Uh, in fact, if South Africa was wanting to be strategic in a way it continues rolling out vaccines, anyone that hasn't been vaccinated up to now, they probably should be started off with a J&J vaccine followed by a Pfizer vaccine. People that have received a single dose of the J&J vaccine certainly should be boosted with a Pfizer dose of vaccine. And if that's unavailable, then the J&J vaccine. So is South Africa's vaccine coverage as a nation high enough to justify booster shots? Absolutely, because if we can justify providing vaccines to the 12 to 17 year old age group, uh, that means that we've got vaccine that we don't know what to do with. And that vaccine would be much better utilized in being offered to adults uh, above the age of 35. We have uh, underlying medical conditions that they've already received a single dose of J&J vaccine. And in fact, for people above the age of uh, 65, even if they receive two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, they actually require 
an additional dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And the same thing goes for other risk groups, such as people with kidney transplants or people with cancer and chemotherapy, people with any other sort of underlying immunosuppressive condition. Uh, South Africa, once again, uh, similar to what it did when it decided not to use the AstraZeneca vaccine, is very much going against the WHO recommendations on the use of vaccines and the use of booster doses and when vaccines should be used in the child population. The WHO is explicit that third doses, booster doses of vaccine needs to be provided to people above the age of 65, people with underlying adults with underlying immunosuppressive medical conditions. Yes, go by all means, go and vaccinate children that they have underlying medical conditions that increases the susceptibility for severe disease. Uh, but the WHO does not recommend uh, ad nauseum vaccination of children 12 to 17 years old, and even less so with the schedule that simply is unknown as to what it's going to achieve. A single dose in a 12 to 17 year old age group is clear, it's simply unknown what that is going to achieve. Uh, in South Africa, we might be banking on the fact that we've got a large percentage of the population, including children, that they have uh, developed immunity because of natural infection. Estimates are between 70 to 80% of people might have been infected already over the course of the first three waves. In that context, be you adult or children, uh, a single dose of vaccine is probably all that you require. This sort of hybrid immunity, where you start off with being primed, your immune system is primed to the natural infection, followed by a vaccine, that hybrid immunity is quite potent, and people that have past infection probably only require a single dose of vaccine. And for me, that is the only way South Africa can be justify using a single dose of vaccine in the 12 to 17 year age group. So what you're saying is that instead of giving younger people the vaccine, South Africa should rather give a third dose of vaccine to people who are more susceptible to being hospitalized. When we experience a resurgence in South Africa, we're not going to be interested in the number of people that are infected with the virus. Uh, that uh, is something that we need to get accustomed to. And in fact, we completely underestimate in any case the number of people that are infected with the virus during the course of each wave. Because our the amount of testing we do is probably 13 times less uh, than the amount of testing that's done in the United Kingdom, as an example. So we shouldn't have this misplaced belief that uh, when we got a thousand cases a day, it's only a thousand cases, it's probably 13,000 cases, because we completely under test relative to high income countries. What is going to determine the next uh, resurgence and the impact that it has on South Africa, as well as where the government is going to need to go to higher levels of restriction, is not a number of cases uh, that are going to occur, but rather the number of people that are going to end up in our hospitals and the number of people that are going to die. Uh, that is the only reason a country such as South Africa, uh, where elimination is not a goal, uh, it's the only reason why we should go back to higher levels of restrictions when our healthcare facilities come under pressure. And the best way to avoid that from happening is to ensure that we've got high levels of coverage in people above the age of 50, 80 to 90% to start off with. And if we can't reach that, the second best way to do it is to ensure that we're basically providing optimal protection against severe disease and death in high-risk individuals who have chosen to be vaccinated in the meantime. Uh, so we shouldn't be depriving people a third dose of vaccine if they're above the age of 65, because the other 35% of people above the age of 65 have chosen not to come forward to be vaccinated. We shouldn't compromise not protecting those individuals that have chosen to be uh, vaccinated and that do stand uh, to benefit from a further dose of vaccine. Prof, some final thoughts, please. 
The main goal in South Africa still remains protection against severe disease and deaths. The way to do that is to optimize protection of people that are at highest risk, which means that people that have received two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, if they've got underlying immunosuppressive conditions or they're above the age of 30, they should be vaccinated immediately with a third dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And for anyone, uh, irrespective of whether they got high underlying medical conditions or not, that received a single dose of the J&J vaccine, uh, they should certainly receive a booster dose of J&J or a booster dose of Pfizer. And like I said, my personal bias is a booster dose of the Pfizer, which seems to induce a much more, a much more potent immune response uh, than two doses of the J&J vaccine. And then we should really not, we should really scale back on vaccinating children between 12 to 17 years well, again, I emphasize uh, there's very little benefit to vaccinate them at this point in time, uh, both at the level of individual protection, uh, because they're not at risk of developing severe disease, as well as in relation to them being transmitters of the virus. Because if you're wanting to really impact on them not being transmitters of the virus, and they're no, no more likely to be transmitters of the virus than adults, but if you're wanting to impact on that, then you need to vaccinate them properly. And that is two doses of the Pfizer vaccine and not a single dose. Protecting people against severe disease should be South Africa's main goal. Giving booster vaccines to people who are at risk and healthcare workers is crucial. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pasha, produced by Ozea Patel and me, Inas Kosana. Chat to you soon.